Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18, as we continue on our series that we started last week, that Pastor Jason started. So Philippians 1, 12 through 18 uh, reads this way. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the entire imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers and sisters, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel, the former preach, or the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Uh, so on June the 6th, if you were paying attention, it was all over the news. Uh, and there were celebrations uh, around the globe. June the 6th marked the start of the 75th anniversary of D-Day, the landings that happened uh, in Normandy when the battles unfolded on uh, on that infamous beach and also the beaches on that stretch of France in 1944 where approximately 150,000 Allied forces from Canada, from uh, Great Britain, from the United States were able to establish a beachhead as part of Operation Overlord, which allowed ultimately seven times more troops. Eventually, over one million men landed at Normandy, uh, ultimately resulting in the liberation of Europe and the world, really, from the clutches of Hitler's regime. Normandy was crucial to the advancement of allied forces, to the advancement of all of the forces fighting evil, resulting in liberty, but the cost was extremely high. It was very high. And that's the thing, that freedom always has a price. Liberty, liberation always has a price. Uh, Somewhere between, they say, they estimate between 14 and 19,000 men died on that day. June the 6th, 1944. 10,000 of them alone were Allied troops, really innocent young men, many of them just boys, uh, who gave their lives for our freedom. The result of all of that in the moment, there was intense suffering, there was intense bloodshed, but the result really was joy and rejoicing for those who were liberated, and we are part of those who have been liberated. Our text today is about another type of advancement, and it's similar. It's about the advancement of the gospel. Paul begins uh, this next section in his letter to the church after giving thanks for who they were and his partnership in the gospel and for the, the many ways they were investing in the kingdom of God, just like you are here. He goes on to say this, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, verse 12, that what happened to me, and he made reference earlier to his imprisonment, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And there was a cost to that advancement because liberation and freedom always bears a price. Always. 
Paul and the early church paid a high price to establish a beachhead for the gospel. What the gospel really is the good news of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. That's simply what the gospel means. Good news about Jesus. Uh, the, 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 the price that was paid to establish this beachhead for the gospel uh, ultimately spills over to you and to me that we can be liberated because of what people like the Apostle Paul and the early church did and endured in order for our freedom to be established, which began uh, with Christ. But there was joy Rejoicing. Paul mentions that there is rejoicing. That's how he ends this section. Not only as a result of what he and the church endured, but even in the midst of that advancement, in the midst of adversity, there was joy. Hence the title of our series in Philippians, Joy in the Midst of Anything. This is a book that exudes joy. And this morning, the Apostle Paul was so joyful, as we're going to study, that the gospel was advancing. And this is what we ought to be known for as a church, that when the gospel advances, we rejoice. This is what we're all about. We exist to be authentic followers of Jesus who would lead others to follow him, that people would come to know the good news of Jesus Christ and commit their lives to him in obedient discipleship. And we do it based on all of these things. And in that, there is rejoicing. There are four things this morning that I want to guide us through, four things that we discover about the advance of the gospel from this text. Number one, I'll mention them quickly, and then we'll get into them one by one. The means for gospel advancement, this is God's method for advancing the gospel. Secondly, the motive for gospel advancement. Third, the message of, for gospel advancement. And fourth, measuring gospel advance, advancement. How do we measure it? First of all, the means for gospel advancement. Let's go back to verse 12. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. What has happened to me has served to advance the gospel And that, what happened to him, is my imprisonment. Paul was in prison. He's in Rome. He's uh, kept literally under chain, uh, chained with a guard uh, watching him all the time. You can read about his imprisonment. It's actually quite interesting. Paul uh, finished his third missionary journey going through different uh, regions uh, away from where the church started, which was in Jerusalem. And, and the gospel was advancing throughout different regions. And Philippi was one of them, uh, a city and a region where Paul was traveling. He established a church there. Believe it or not, he also spent time there, in prison there in Philippi. Remember the story about the Philippian jailer, right, where Paul and Silas were, were in jail and they started singing hymns. And uh, God responded, the place shook and the doors flew open and all the prisoners were like, man, let's get out of here. And Paul's like, no, 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 wait. And, uh, and the, the jailer was about to kill himself because he was responsible to watch those prisoners and they were being released. And he came to faith in Christ and was part of this church now that Paul is writing to, again, under Roman guard, in prison, in Rome. How he got there, I, I don't have time to explain it all, but you have to go back to the book of Acts and start in chapter 20 and read right to the end of Acts, chapter 28. It'll tell you step by step how Paul ended up in a prison in Rome. But here he is. 
And Paul said, these circumstances have really served to advance the gospel. And we go, well, that's a weird way to advance the gospel, isn't it? I mean, here was a guy who didn't like being, uh, you know, nailed down. He didn't like being in chains. Paul was a bit of a freewheeler. He always did it like his ministry with other people, but he liked to be on the move. Paul loved to travel, and everywhere he went, he would share the good news of Jesus, and uh, he would get himself into a little bit of trouble. Uh, but a church was always established wherever he went, and he would go back at times to visit those churches. In Ephesus, he stayed two and a half years establishing. He'd always appoint elders, just like Ernie's an elder here. He, Paul would appoint elders in the churches to, to make sure the work carried on while he left because he was a missionary. He was a preacher and a missionary. He loved to travel, establish churches, and imprisonment was something that he did not choose. He would never choose imprisonment. It's not something we'd choose, is it? But it's something that God chose. God chose imprisonment for Paul to advance the gospel. And it is what Paul leveraged to advance the gospel because he saw it as an opportunity. He saw it as an opportunity. If you, if you read in our text, uh, uh, you notice that it says the whole imperial guard was influenced. <laughs> Did a little research on that. It's called the Praetorian Guard. These were especially trained Roman forces. They weren't, these weren't just your average forces who went out and did battle. These guys had served their time. They had been under centurions. They had risen through the ranks. And they had been specially uh, trained now to serve at the imperial palace, Caesar himself. 10,000 10, troops were in the imperial guard, the praetorian guard. And every single one of them knew who Paul was, and they knew why he was there, and they knew it was because of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? 10,000 of the most influential soldiers in all of Rome knew about Paul. If you go, uh, if you read a little bit later, we're jumping ahead now in Philippians, but in chapter 4, it says that even some members of Caesar's household came to faith in Christ. All the rest that is referred to in Philippians uh, chapter 1 here that I just read, it says the, the imperial guard and all the rest. We don't know exactly who that is, but I bet that news about Paul was spreading throughout the entire city. Here's a guy who's imprisoned for Christ. What is this all about? This is what God chose. This is what God chose, amazingly. Here's, here's the thing that we need to understand about God, his method or his means to advance the gospel. I'm going to go back to Isaiah chapter 55. God says there, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. Neither are your ways my methods, my means, to advance the work of God. <laughs> you, you look at the biblical pattern of uh, Abraham. We just did a series in Genesis, uh, particularly around Abraham, Isaac. Uh, some pretty unconventional means to advance what God was doing, ultimately pointing to Jesus. You look at the story of Joseph, of David, of Joseph and Mary, of Gideon, the Battle of Jericho, I'm jumping all over the Bible now, but Gideon, here was a guy like all by himself and, and God often does so much more with less. He's like, okay, guys, I want you to go into battle, but oh, you have too many men. 
We're like, what? We're going up against thousands and thousands of troops. Oh, that's too many. Why don't you take just 300? What? This is the way God works. Because it's his power. It's his good news. It's his work that is advancing. He uses us, but he does it in ways and in means that we don't think about. And this is the kind of God that we need to embrace and understand. Joni um, Erickson Tada, how many are familiar with that name? If you're not, Google the name, Joni, Joni Erickson Tada. She got married after she had a, an accident, a diving accident, which put her into a wheelchair. She's handicapped basically from her, like her neck down. In many ways, confined, she's confined to a, a wheelchair or a bed or whatever. Um, like Paul, confined, in prison, in a, in a sense, but so, so influential for the gospel because she has taken, she has leveraged her circumstances, which God allowed in her life, to advance the gospel. Just like Paul allowed what God, uh, Paul leveraged what God allowed in his life to advance the gospel. And this is what Joni Erickson said. I, I read a bunch of quotes from her this week, and this one really stood out to me. She said, sometimes God allows what he hates. God doesn't like injustice. What happened to Paul was unjust. There was evil men that put him literally behind bars. God, or Paul appealed to Caesar, but he knew that things weren't going well for him in Jerusalem, so he had no opportunity to appeal because people wanted him dead. So Joni Erickson said, sometimes God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that an amazing perspective? Paul may have been restrained, but the gospel was not. God works in and through our circumstances, often painful and confusing circumstances that we don't like going through and that we can't understand. And he said, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. We're going to come back to that in a moment, but before we shift gears to the second thing, I want to say this. Paul's imprisonment served to advance the gospel in more ways than one. It wasn't, this wasn't just about the Apostle Paul. Let's go to verse 14 here for a second. It says, And most of the brothers and sisters, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So Paul's imprisonment not only served to advance the gospel through what he was doing and those he was influencing, but the church, all of a sudden their confidence increased and they go, man, if he can do this, we can do it. And again, Joni Erickson, she, she went on to say, your gutsy choice to face suffering head on, and, and we can receive this from her because she knows what it means to suffer. Your gutsy choice to face suffering head-on forces others around you to sit up and take notice. It strengthens the character of a helping society. When people observe perseverance, endurance, and courage, their own moral fiber is reinforced. And I want to say their own commitment to the gospel is reinforced. Conversely, your choice to bow out of life can and does weaken the moral resolve of that same society. 
So how do you respond in the midst of adversity, in the midst of suffering? Does it cause others to sit up and take notice of how you respond? Or does it discourage you and everybody else around you and do nothing to advance the work of Jesus? Uh, if you go book to the, back to the book of Acts when the early church was just getting going, uh, the Holy Spirit had been given and right away the apostle Peter begins to preach and thousands of people are coming uh, to faith in Jesus and uh, the, the leaders of the, uh, the council, the, syna- the synagogues, uh, the ruling council, the Sanhedrin, they were not at all pleased with what was happening because Jesus was being preached and they were getting a little bit envious and jealous. Sound familiar? <laughs> Happened everywhere. The gospel was being preached. People were getting upset. So uh, it says there that, uh, uh, that Peter was uh, uh, arrested and, brought, and they were kept uh, overnight. Uh, Acts chapter 4, I'm just summarizing a little bit here. And uh, they were threatened with uh, beatings and further imprisonment, which happened eventually. But at this point, they just let him go because they couldn't find a charge. But they kept him overnight, arrested him, kept him in jail. And they said, get out of here and please don't talk. They didn't say please. They said, don't talk about Jesus or you're going to pay the price. What did they do? Did they go into hiding? Did they say, woe is me? This is too much. I'm checking out. Verse 23, chapter 4, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city... They were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is the response that God wants from us, is not to turn in fear, but to come to him with sincere hearts and say, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit that I can continue to preach your word with boldness that others might know you and come to faith in you. These are God's means for advancing the gospel. He, persecution and suffering is what he's always used. And this is why I believe in, in, the, in the Western part of the world, by and large, the church where, where we have ease, where we have comfort, the church is not growing. Not very fast anyway. It's growing, but not rapidly like in other parts of the world. Vietnam, we're hearing stories. China, other places where there are serious consequences to you if you declare the name of Jesus or if you have a Bible. That's where the church is growing because they are relying on the Lord for the confidence and the filling of the Holy Spirit that they need. 
But, but we can have that too here. We need to pray for it, that God would give us confidence and boldness to declare the word of Jesus wherever we go. Secondly, the motive for a gospel advancement, uh, verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and that I rejoice. You know, <laughs> there are right motives and there are wrong motives, but Paul, honestly, he just didn't care. He didn't let it bother him. The false, the, the, the false and impure motives that other people had, he's like, the Lord's going to deal with them. <laughs> you know what I'm excited about? Christ is being talked about. It's amazing. But that doesn't mean that we should come with impure motives. There are pure and impure motives. People out there, Paul said, the impure motives were envy and rivalry. Um, People saw Paul as the super apostle. And they go, man, I wish I could be like him. And uh, they, or they were just truly upset that Jesus was being preached. And and they didn't, uh, they didn't buy into that. They thought that still the old system uh, of sacrifices and the Jewish way of worship and all of that was still the right way instead of believing in the name of Jesus. Paul said that their envy and rivalry was rooted in selfish ambition. It was not sincere. It resulted in intent to harm the apostle Paul. He said to inflict me in my imprisonment. And, and the way like commentators think this was happening was that... Uh, you know, to talk about Jesus in, in, uh, under, in the Roman Empire, especially at the core, in the city of Rome itself, to talk about Jesus as being ruler or king, you didn't do that because there was no ruler except for Caesar. So uh, there were severe consequences to declare anyone else as king or ruler other than Caesar. And so they were going around saying that Jesus was king and then when they were being brought to account for that, they would say, well, no, no, it's, it's Paul who told us to say that, so you've got to go deal with him. It's, it's a little nasty, isn't it, what they were doing? Pretense. Uh, the word pretense means an attempt to make something that is not, not the case to appear true, a claim, especially a false or ambitious one. So what they were saying wasn't at all true. What they were saying about Jesus was true, but they, the blame they were casting on Paul was not true. They were making him appear to be a troublemaker who was taking allegiance away from Caesar, and that wasn't at all the case. The pure motives that God wants us to come with here are goodwill, which is out of love for God's servants and out of love for him, an intent to help, to defend the gospel, which is all based on a commitment to truth, God wants his people to be people of truth, to speak honestly at all times. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He simply wants us to declare the truth. Third, the message for gospel advancement. I want to reread this text one more time and I want you to pick up on a key word shouldn't be too hard because I think I have it highlighted on the screen. <laughs> I want you to know, brothers, 
and sisters that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers and sisters, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not merely, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. What's the key word? What's the message? Christ. Christ. Do not allow yourself to get sidetracked, sidetracked and, def- and to deflect from the simple and the pure message of Christ. If you go through the book of Acts and other letters that Paul wrote, you look at Colossians chapter 1, 1 Corinthians 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I could go on and on and on. The message all boils down to two things. Paul said, I determined to know nothing among you, church, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And in other places, it talks only about Jesus Christ being raised from the dead. Those are the two things that matter, friends. That Jesus Christ died. He died. He shed his blood. He died in the flesh. He suffered in the flesh that we might be forgiven, that he might be the sacrifice for sins once for all. But he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the grave to show his victory over sin, over Satan, and over everything else that we face in our lives. He's victorious, and he's alive, and he's at the right hand of the Father as we speak. Amen? Amen. That's the gospel. When you talk with people, keep it focused on Christ. Christ, proclaim Christ, that he died, that he was buried, and that he was raised again from the dead, that he appeared to people, and that he ascended to heaven, and he will return again. But the key things is that he died, and he's raised. He's alive. That's the gospel. That is the message for gospel advancement, and that's what we need to be committed to and focused on. And fourth, measuring gospel advancement. How do we measure this? What then, Paul said in verse 18, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. What was Paul's measure of success? His joy factor. His joy in the fact that Christ was proclaimed, period. That was his measure. How much joy do I receive in knowing that Christ is proclaimed? Paul didn't care about the numbers. He didn't care about how many people he shared the good news with that week or that day or that month. He cared about the fact that Jesus was being proclaimed all the time. And he was rejoicing whether people did it out of pretense or in truth. It didn't matter to him. They're talking about Jesus. (laughs) That's the measure of our success. How much do we proclaim Christ? And how much joy do we have among us as a result of people that are putting their faith in him? So, this is all good and dandy for the Apostle Paul, but what about us? 
how does this apply? I'm glad that you asked the question because I'm going to try to give us a few, a few pointers and then we're going to celebrate communion because this is going to point us to Christ and, and refresh us again and remind us of why we exist as a church and why we leave here week after week after having gathered to sing and encourage and fellowship and be with each other and see baptisms. Why it is that we do what we do. Let's go through the points again. I don't have separate points here for the, uh, uh, the slides and all that, but let's just go through. So God's means and God's method for gospel advancement. The question I want to ask, for you, ask you this morning is this. What has happened to you? That's getting personal. But what has happened to you? See, Paul said, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He was talking about his circumstances, which weren't at all pleasant. He was in prison. He was suffering. He relied on others to have his needs met. He didn't eat unless people came and visited him and brought food. Like, they didn't supply that for him. What's happened to you? What, what, I, what I like to do, and this is why I like Freedom Sessions so much, is that you start with a person's point of pain. And I want to ask you that this morning. What in your life causes you the greatest pain? Is it a physical condition that you have? Is it uh, an emotional or physical abuse or a neglect that you experienced as a child, teenager? Is it, is it cancer? Is it depression? An attempt at suicide? Sexual abuse? What is, what's happened to you? And I want to say to you that it is right there where God wants to meet you, heal you, and use you. Because that's where the rubber hits the road and that's where real life is at. And that's where the good news becomes real. Because the good news of Jesus isn't just to a secure um, eternal life. That's a big part of it. We want to know where we're going when we die. But it's so that we can experience abundant life now and point others to him. This life will always be marked with suffering. Don't deny it. Leverage it. Leverage it for the kingdom of God, the glory of God, and for the advancement of the gospel. Are you a victim or are you a victor in your circumstances? Paul was not a victim. He said, okay, here I am. How do I leverage this for the glory of God and the advancement of the gospel? Everyone has that thing that has happened to them. Will you use it? Will you leverage it? Joseph, if you go back to the latter part of Genesis, Joseph had some horrible things that happened to him. He was thrown in a pit by his own brothers, left to die. Or they told his father that he was dead, but they sold him to some slave traders, shipped down to Egypt, gained some status in Potiphar's house, but then was accused wrongly, thrown into prison. And at every point, Joseph didn't say, woe is me, why am I here? He knew that God had a plan and he leveraged it for God's advancement of, of his work. 
And in the final end, Genesis 50, I love that. Paul gathered, or Joseph gathered his brothers and he says, you know what, guys? <laughs> they were shaking in their boots once they realized he was the second most powerful man in the world at that point. <laughs> and they were afraid like he might kill them, literally. And he says, no, 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 don't worry. You need to tell dad that I'm alive. That's number one. Secondly, I forgive you. <laughs> and third, what's happened to me, you intended for evil, but God intended it for good, for the saving of many people. You see, when we bring our pain and those things in our lives that cause us suffering, when we bring them under the lordship of, lordship of Jesus and we're able to forgive people and we're able to make amends for the things that we've done, we're able to experience the healing grace of God. It is in those things that God, in our weaknesses, that God's power will be shown the most and we will have the most influence. I don't have time to tell you my story, but... One of my favorite verses is actually Genesis chapter 50 between 19 and 21 where I can say what, what you intended to my abuser was meant for evil, but God meant it for good for the same many people. I can honestly say that because whenever I've shared my story of sexual abuse, I was abused sexually. Uh, it's quite a story <laughs> at the age of 10, 1980 back in Saskatchewan. Um, my perpetrator was a serial uh, child molester who was eventually uh, arrested and imprisoned, died in jail just a few years ago. Um, I had to testify at a uh, trial. Actually, it, it, it skipped trial and went to a dangerous offenders hearing. There were, there were, there were more victims than, than we really even know. Uh, my perpetrator uh, used my name to abuse children in British Columbia. I was in Saskatchewan at the time, just a boy. Between 1980 and 1996, when he was finally arrested. For 16 more years, he carried on and, uh, and actually used my name as one of his aliases. This came out in court. It was in the newspaper by accident. People were phoning me and saying, this is weird. And I go, well, no, not really happened, but whenever I've shared my story of God's grace in my life and the things that have happened to me, it's always been met with good gospel response and advancement. In fact, in our, in our first ministry in Saskatchewan, our next door neighbor went to jail because he was dealing drugs on Highway 16 between Saskatoon and Edmonton and the police were watching him for quite, quite some time and he was arrested and put into maximum security prison in Prince Albert. And uh, I went to visit him. Uh, we, we were meeting, our church was meeting the needs of his wife and their three young children at that time, all in diapers, bringing them food and helping them with gas and that kind of thing. And I went to visit this guy in jail and he shared with me um, how he ended up in jail and that he was also sexually abused. And when I told him my story, he put his faith in Christ. Because there's hope, there's grace, there's forgiveness, there's healing. It's not easy, but we need to leverage these things for the gospel and not deny that they happened. I better get moving. <laughs> um, Friday, an email came into my box from Family Life. 
And, they, and, and Family Life Ministries sent a team to uh, Pekanjikum, northern in northern Canada, north of Ontario somewhere. Pekanjikum, and the, and the title said, Bringing Hope to the Suicide Capital of Canada. In fact, in Pekanjikum in 2012, seven years ago, was named by Maclean's Magazine as being the suicide capital of the world. An epidemic, a plague of young people killing themselves. Despair and hopelessness like the darkest place on earth. Who better to bring hope to these people than someone who understands suicide because they've attempted it? They've survived by the grace of God, had their life transformed by the good news, the gospel of Jesus. Who better to go to a place like Pekanjikum and give them some hope? And in verse 14, it said, most of the brothers and sisters became bold and more confident. Most, not all of them. And a question I want to ask you this morning is, which camp are you in? Are you in the camp where you are becoming more confident and more bold? To use those things that, God, that have happened to you and leverage them for the glory of God and for the advance of the gospel challenge I want to put out to you today. We've got to keep moving. Your motives. Um, this is a chance for us to check our motives. Are we doing this out of selfish ambition? Look at how obedient, how faithful I am. Rivalry. Oh, I led more people to Christ than he ever will. And Envy. If I only could be bold like her. Insincerity. Sharing Christ out of fear or duty. These are all realities that we all, including me, struggle with. And it's, and it's selfish ambition, really, that keeps us from sharing Christ in, to begin with. And fear. Number three, what message are you sharing? Do you know the gospel story? Can you share in a moment? Can you give pe- people in a moment the reason for the hope that you have? And to share that with gentleness and re- with respect. That's what Peter said. Share it with gentleness and with respect. Always respect people. But can you, in a moment's notice, and Paul did this wherever he went, he would be called in front of rulers. He'd be called in front of the the, the council that wanted to kill him. And he would tell people right off the bat, this is who I was. I was a persecutor. I was a blasphemer. I was a violent man. This is how I met Jesus. He met me on that road to Damascus. And boy, did he change my life. And, And then he said, and this is who I am today. This is how I live my life as a result of having met Jesus. And he would do it in two minutes. You can read it in Acts. Over and over, like several times, Paul shared. He, he modeled for us how to share the gospel. And how do you measure success? Are you, it, you know, caught up in numbers, counting heads, the number of conversions or conversations? Or are you just simply rejoicing that Christ is proclaimed? Because Paul said, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So as we come to the Lord's table this morning, it's always a good time to reflect on the mission. Um, The Lord Jesus laid down his life that we might be saved. He established the beachhead from which his troops marched into battle, pressing on in the face of the enemy that others might come to know him and be liberated be set free, be rescued. 
That's what salvation means, you know. It means literally to be rescued. Jesus ultimately is our measure of success. Let us run, Paul said, with endurance the race that is set out before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We need to run the race with joy as we look forward to that day when we, along with all of those that we've had the privilege of sharing the gospel with, join Jesus before God's very throne of grace. And so this morning, as you take time and as I take time to reflect on all of this, consider how you might be used to advance the gospel. As you hold the bread and the cup before we partake together, ask yourself this question, what has happened to me that will glorify God and point others to Christ? Ask God for the boldness and the confidence to leverage those things in your life that he might be glorified and others be drawn to Jesus. Use the time to check your motives to see if they're pure. Um, Use the time to remind yourself of what the good news really is, that Jesus died and that he rose again. Use this time to pray for someone for whom all the angels of heaven would rejoice along with all of us should they respond to the gospel and follow Jesus as one of his disciples. Pray for someone that you know that needs their lives transformed by the good news. So the servers are going to come and join me and Bill and Heather and Carson, come on back up and and we're going to serve you a a little piece of bread and we're going to serve you a little cup Gluten-free, by the way, and non-alcoholic. Just so you know, you can partake with freedom. Representing the body of Christ and the blood of Christ, Jesus was broken in his body for us. And his blood was shed for us that we might be forgiven. He suffered to set us free. So reflect on these things as you're served. Uh, Hold on to them. We're going to partake together after I I read a scripture. So let's do that now.